Welcome to a special edition of the Marshall Pruitt Podcast. Going back to 2012 here, the Rolex 24 Daytona. Signature opening event at that time for the Grand Am Rolex Series. Here we are this weekend, signature season opener for IMSA's WeatherTech Sports Car Championship. Going back to the victory by Michael Shank Racing in 2012. Their Ford V8-powered Riley chassis. Epic, epic battles throughout. Huge history unfolding for them. Things that have changed all the members of that team in significant ways since their win 10 years ago in 2012. The driver lineup, late, dear, beloved friend Justin Wilson, A.J. Allmendinger, Oz Negri, John Pugh. Wow, did they do something remarkable. So for this look back, I'm going to start off with Michael Shank. We're going to move to Oz Negri, then Justin's younger brother, Stefan Wilson, making his Rolex 24 debut this weekend. And we're going to close with Dinger, AJ Allmendinger. I'd hoped to have John Pugh as part of this, recovering from a, a medical medical visit. So unfortunately, we don't have John, but we sure do speak about him a lot and with great reverie talking about things being shared here i'm not going to preview it all and trail it all up front but i can just tell you this if we're talking about holy cow quotes and thoughts michael shank certainly has a bunch to open and then to close say dinger might even uh, be on pole position there in terms of wow just some really beautiful and amazing sentiments and thoughts inside this victory uh, contextualizing this victory with 10 years worth of time that's passed so many other things so beautiful beautiful stuff i would say from all four so why don't we get rolling here looking back this crazy crazy race was so fortunate to be there before during and after speak with all of them and just a, a real treat to be able to go back and talk about it a decade later with the majority of the players of those who authored a titanic win for them at Michael Shank Racing. This whole episode is brought to you by Cooper Tires, the Justice Brothers, and TorontoMotorsports.com. Michael Shank, 2012, Rolex 24 at Daytona. I loved every part of it, except for the heat and humidity and some of that stuff. It's weird when it's 3 a.m. Yeah. and you're standing on pit lane sweating. But... Right. Um, this is a pretty amazing event for you. Lots to potentially cover here. Before we get to the win, how the race went, and, and some of the other stuff there, I thought it might be interesting, Mike, to actually start with Michael Shank Racing, right? Uh, years before you and Jim Meyer teamed up for the team you have right now. But talking about you getting into Daytona Prototype, and that being a really important thing for you as a team owner, small business owner and such. We know from our interviews in the past that uh, DP, the, the Daytona prototype class, was a, a huge one for you and your wife, Mary Beth. Rolex 24, right? You had a, a good start to your account there and such. But coming into this 2012 race, would I be correct in saying it felt a little bit like you were punching bag on a couple of occasions there where you had a couple of good finishes, but um, you also had a couple where it felt like uh, victory was, was snatched at some unfair point in time. I'm trying to paint a picture of the mindset of the team coming into 2012. 
we started our first year at the Rolex was in 2004 and we finished third actually in DP that year. And very few people remember that, but, uh, we, we actually, it was the first year with the Doran. That was the first year we were here. We had spent 10 years in Toyota Atlantic and had a pretty good run and really had kind of run out of options in Toyota Atlantic. It was kind of dwindling at that point and teams were eating each other with regard to pricing on how much it costs to go Toyota Atlantic racing. And then finally me and a few of my guys and my wife all decided we either have to do something different or this isn't going to work. And, um, in 04, we started in with Daytona prototype and uh, every year we kind of gained knowledge and, uh, but more than anything, we tried to figure out how are we going to pay for this? Like, uh, We'd have a couple of really good drivers that would bring some folks that had some money that could afford to do it maybe. And um, how do we marriage the, the the budget with the talent to try to get the results? You know, in the meantime, you know, guys like Chip Ganassi are, you know, going at it full on. They don't have to worry so much about the money and they just got the best drivers and they're, they're, they're racing, you know, we had to compete against that. So the beauty of DP uh, Marshall, in my opinion, was that, you know, on a good day, you know, we could compete with them because of the rule stability and uh, that trend toward spec kind of spec ish kind of car racing that uh, kind of helped us compete at the top level. And um, over the years, as we got better at DP and uh, we had a little more budget to, 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 to deal with, um, um, you know, in 08, we were on pole and we, we just, we kicked ass and, you know, at 10 AM in the morning, unfortunately we had a bell housing come apart with Bert for selling the car leading without a problem at all. And, uh, you know, in 2010, we had a, a lead going with AJ in the car at midnight and, uh, we had a motor break, unfortunately. And, you know, those kind of things just really, uh, rocked us the wrong way but i'll never forget the you know i'm probably talking too much here marshall oh we never do this look we don't edit our stuff we just talk brother like what racers do we don't do nothing short we tell stories well here's the best thing so in 2012 they decided they were going to come out with a gen 3 riley which would be a narrower cockpit a little more pleasing to look at because everyone you know didn't really like the looks of the dps proto turtles Yep. Yeah, it didn't, didn't ever bother me, but, you know, it bothered a lot of people. Anyways, they come up with these narrower cockpits, and I, I remember going down to Bill Riley's at the end of 11 as we were getting our first Gen 3 car built, and we're looking at it, and we're building it, and we took it down to Daytona uh, in December, right from Riley's shop. We took it to, to Daytona, and the first, probably the second time by with AJ in the car, uh, third time time lap, we were just way further ahead than we thought we'd ever be. And, uh, right there. And then I knew we had something to contend with. And, uh, as long as they didn't mess with the BOP too bad, which they didn't, uh, myself, Peter Barron had, uh, a true weapon there, uh, to go against the other cars. And, uh, um, that's what really set the course. Yeah. I think we qualified seventh. We didn't do too terribly well in quality but in the race we drove to the front and uh it kind of changed history for msr from that point you know yeah and we're going to get into that for sure lineup is one that we also need to talk about up front so uh you'd had uh dinger with you for a little while 
Oz Negri as well, right? Oz was kind of the the brick and mortar along with Mark Patterson, right? Uh, with your yeah. DP team that was developing. Where do you meet Justin Wilson for the first time? And when do you meet John Pugh? And, and Pugh, uh, I'll come back to in a moment, but man, you want to talk about uh, someone who's not as well-remembered as he should be uh, as being a part of this winning program. Well, actually, what what you're you're kind of skipping there a little bit is in 2006, Oz, Mark Patterson, Justin Wilson, and AJ were the first time, and we finished second to Casey Mears that year in the Rolex. Yeah. So we, we actually had those four in 06. They almost won the damn thing. Uh, but the Ganassi car did beat us that year, and we finished P2, which I was pretty happy about. So my second year in, we were on the strong podium and had a shot to win. And um, that started, you know, what that started truly was, and, and I got to tell you, the, the real glue here, the real glue is Oz Negri. Yeah. Um, he understood a couple things. First of all, he's a, a very, very good racing driver. On top of that, as the older he got, he kind of understood the business side of it and how we got to get these deals done. And he was a great conduit between people uh, that wanted to drive, that had a little bit of money that could maybe afford to do it and putting them with a good team like ours. And he was kind of the conduit that got the, the, you know, the result out of that. But, you know, that's a guy that never left my side along with AJ and Justin too, to be honest with you until he passed away. They, they just never wavered. I mean, Oz could have said, you know what, I'm going to take my deal and I'm going to go to another team uh, when things maybe weren't going our way at different points of that whole deal. I remember, that's a 13-year career with uh, MSR and Oz, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, um, and, and he never did that. He never once did that. And, uh, you know, that's the kind of loyalty that uh, uh, that's hard to buy in this sport. And um, we're eternally grateful for that. So... Uh, and to this day, I still am. So uh, we we brought that car down here to the Rolex now. It's going to be on the front straightaway on Saturday. Uh, we rewrapped it so it looks just like it did when we won here in 2012, and I'm really proud of that. Um, I never sold that car. I kept it. And um, that car uh, and those people, and, and John, you know, it started with Mark Patterson, and then he was really good friends with John Pugh and John Pugh and Mark raced together with us for a couple of years. And Mark decided to go to Europe, but John stayed on until, you know, the end of 2016. So he had a 10 year run with MSR that truly defined the, the team and the company. And, um, and again, Oz was the common denominator and, uh, and so was AJ and so was Justin. So you've got the, the Wilson and Almondinger, uh, combo here they were obviously very hot properties in champ car around that time you've got oz former open wheeler who found a home in sports cars and here in 2012 as well you have john Pugh. and what i love about this winning lineup mike maybe you can share a little bit about this perspective too you mentioned ganassi for example it's just murderers row every year, right? Hey, it's Juan Montoya and it's Dario and it's Dixon and it's Pruitt and it's right. Just top to bottom, every driver pro of pros, most elite you're racing with Patterson. He was a really high level, uh, pro am Pew had to work his way up obviously, but 
you had some amazing drivers in the car in 2012 in terms of pro grade amazingness. John Pugh, potentially a liability because he wasn't a pro and yet he was delivering exactly as you asked of him. And without him doing that, you guys sure as heck don't win. Talk a little bit about Pew, because it does stand out among all the other badass lineups, the the Starworks one you mentioned as well, uh, where he he definitely he had to do some extraordinary stuff. Yeah, he he had, you know. Listen, we put a lot of you know, John. We we knew we had a fast car, and with with, with that comes pressure for all four of the drivers, but especially when you're not making a living racing and you get this kind of world level expectation because you could win this race uh that's kind of hard on anybody and and it was it was it was kind of crushing to john i think you know and he and i think he was nervous about it but uh you he actually you know god bless john i mean he he really he really did a, a great job for us uh he took himself out of the rotation right at the very end just to make sure we could rotate oz and uh well, we ended up. What we ended up doing was ran Justin, Oz, and then AJ at the end. And John could have been in that mix, and he's like, "Just take me out. I've I've done everything I can. I I, I don't want to make any mistake. This team is ready to win this race." And uh, he he kind of pulled himself out of it, which was fine. We were readjusted, but he deserves as much or as more credit than kind of anybody that. Um, uh, uh, guy, you know, again, uh, you know, the, there's key people that in MSR's life that have just uh, been the the pivot points. Um, Paul Mears, Mark Patterson, John Pugh. Recently, it's Jim Meyer. Um, you know, it's just uh, you know Acura and the NSX deal. These 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 moments in time, uh, Marshall, that really. Uh, change the direction and, and, and really set a course for a company. And, um, John was, and Mark Patterson, um, just were the perfect guys for what we, we were at the time. I think we delivered for them. We gave them what they wanted, I feel. And, um, uh, it, it's just, it's just really cool looking back and thinking back on it actually. So let's get into the race a little bit. You mentioned qualifying. Granted, it's a long race. Not so concerned about being on pole. But there was certainly some heat in and around you in terms of talent and teams, right? If we're looking at the Starworks lineup, you mentioned obviously running the same updated Riley car, same 5-liter Ford engine, Mike. Uh, Ryan D.L., Lucas Lure, Alan McNish, uh, Alex Popow and Enzo Potalicchio, all whether Lamal winners, crazy experienced factory guys, or very high level uh, pro am types, uh, you know, Action Express with they always had tough lineups. Ganassi that I mentioned, uh, run down the list. Spirit of Daytona, right? It, basically, the Corvette uh, GT team. In a Corvette DP, Antonio Garcia, Ollie Gavin, Yan Magnuson, Westbrook, and on and on and on. Uh, what I'm getting at is this was not an easy year. Uh, this was not going to be a cakewalk for anybody. Tell me about getting into the early hours of the race 
and what you recall there from a strategery standpoint. Uh, I don't recall a lot of coasting and lifting. <clears throat> no, no, no. There was definitely not a lot of that. All the, all those guys, you know, different points were peaking in their lives, you know, and what they were doing. And um, uh, I, I remember one of the, you know, one of the things I remember about this race, I was very concerned about brake changes. I knew we need, you know, back then we ran steel brakes. So we had to change brakes. We couldn't make it the whole race on the front brakes, just the front brakes. And uh, we knew we had to do it. We weren't getting the yellow we wanted to do it. <clears throat> Justin was in the car. And once the race got rolling, the Ford Riley package that year was kind of the package to have. And, you know, listen, I've been there years when we had the package, and I've been years that we didn't have the package. So I, I don't feel guilty about having the package once in a while. <laughs> so uh, that year we definitely had it, and we knew it. And, um we wanted to make sure we executed on every level. I think the most, the, the, you know, once I saw that we could pull a lead, once we got out front and got away from traffic, we could definitely pull away. And I remember the engineers coming to me and say, hey, because we're not getting any yellows about two-thirds of the way through, we really want to do a green flag uh, brake change. And I'm like, are you, oh. you kidding me? What are you, are you crazy? And they said, no, we got Justin in the car. We think he, we think he, you know, he's a, you know, he's three quarter of a second quicker than everybody right now. We think he, we can, he, we can get to what we need. If we get to a 32nd lead and the Delta in the pit lane and all this stuff, we, you know, we think we can, you know, not get lapped. And, uh, we did that and it freaking worked. And Justin brought it in. He set the fastest lap of the race. So we asked him to do an hour of quality laps, essentially, what were an hour of quality laps. Wow. And he did. And he did. He set the fastest lap of the race. Justin, to this day, the fastest lap of the 2012 Rolex 24 is by Justin. And, um, and it's because we pushed him hard and he responded. And we got that brake change done. And uh, he was, he was plum tuckered when he got out of that car, I'll tell you. And, um, and that was just one of those things. Also, by the way, a, a little fun fact. That year, we started developing paddle shift for life racing. So up to that point, Grand Am, Daytona prototype were always the stick, you know, the, uh, uh, the sequential shifter, right? The bump, yeah. the bump deal, right? And we had that from 04 through 2011. In 2011, we started developing for life an approved paddle shift system, and we tested it enough prior up to that point that we decided to race it that year. And that was the first time anyone had used paddle shifts on a Daytona prototype car, and it ran the whole time. Uh, just another little fun fact there that people will may or may not give a shit about later on in life. But uh, now, of course, everybody, that's all we do is have paddle shifts. <laughs> so... Another thing that jumps out, Mike, from the race, and maybe this is moving a little farther, you know, uh, into Sunday and whatnot. Justin, uh, back injury, right? Uh, spoke with Stefan Wilson about this. Uh, Justin yeah. on the IndyCar side had had a uh, pretty significant back injury, ended up missing uh, the rest of the 2011 season, I believe it was rehabbed and whatnot but uh still with the seating style and requirements uh him having to fold himself in half like a or try and fold himself like a bowling ball almost from his height 
to accommodate, you know, the, the seating uh, generalities needed for someone as, as uh, diminutive as AJ. This is a guy who, while executing an hour of qualifying laps or otherwise in this heat, in this humidity, and these DP cars didn't have air conditioning, they, they, they baked you if it was hot outside or humid. Uh, I recall part of the story being everybody remembers that knockdown drag out fight with McNish um, and, and Starks car and, and Dinger to close and whatnot, but wind the clock back a little bit. And Justin was having to do some extraordinary things in the car, kind of teeing up what would follow later uh, with Oz and then with, uh, with AJ. But what do you recall from that? Uh, because as you said, you know, you basically had to pour him out of the car when he was done, but that guy was having to fight through some stuff to deliver and, Man, I don't know if that story's uh, been celebrated enough. Well, I'll tell you why it hasn't been maybe so much is because Justin was a proper stiff English, uh, you know, proper English stiff upper lip guy. Yeah, he never told me this. I didn't know. I didn't know that he was hurting anymore because he he dealt with this. <laughs> and when I say handicap, I say it in the loosest terms. I mean, meaning he has these long legs that touch the the uh, uh, the dashboard, right? And, and he never complained about it. He just dealt with it. And the stiff upper lip and all, and I didn't, I, I mean, obviously I knew he had hurt his back in mid-Ohio in an IndyCar, but I didn't know it was affecting him. And he never told me <laughs> because, because that's just what he was. He just got on with it, right? And uh, um, that absolutely was the setup to the last four hours of that race or five hours, maybe even, uh, that, that push that, that two thirds push that he did. And I haven't thought about it a lot for a long time, Marshall, but that two thirds push that he had was what we needed to do, get that brake change done and then get, then, then get, uh, Oz in the car, which is what happened. So it went Justin Oz and then AJ at the end. And, um, yeah, that that was uh, I guess that was really incredible thinking back on it now. I also recall uh, around the same time, and I, and I don't remember if it was Justin uh, and McNish on track at the same time in that that early uh, steamy Sunday morning phase. You know, uh, while the sun was still down, but I do recall being in the Starworks pit when Allen climbed out, and I have a photo of Allen like one to two minutes after climbing out of the car. And it's one of the favorite photos I've taken ever at the Rolex 24, because the look of exhaustion on McNish's face, I mean, it was haunting almost. He looked like a ghost uh, (laughs) that was alive and it just spoke to what he and the, the big man and, and any, any others charging hard then were having to, uh, to experience in the cockpit. So, Mike, why don't we move forward a little bit as we get closer to the finish here. You've already mentioned Pugh uh, being a good man and saying, Let, let's keep the monsters in the car. That's going to be best for us. Again, a beautiful sacrifice uh, on his part. Famous close of the race with McNish, with Dinger, and Calvin Fish's patented Argy Bargy going on. What's going through your mind, brother, knowing that you have taken a third, taken seconds there, second places at Daytona, mm-hmm. 
what's going through your mind and you're like hey we could win this thing if we have a car left what are the emotions oh actually you gotta just take one step further back something happened in turn one that set that whole thing on fire uh McNish did something to AJ, checked him, ran him wide. I can't remember what it was. Maybe ran him wide, Marshall. I'm, I'm missing this a little sure, bit. Sure. But it, something happened in turn one that really pissed AJ off, like a disrespect thing or, you know, beyond what was. And, and AJ had figured out this little, I don't know what you would call it, an over-under thing in turn six coming on a NASCAR two out of the road course that really, really worked, right? Like, if you go back, literally, if you go back and look at YouTubes of the last 15 minutes of that race, you will see, I, I almost call it an undercut. Like, it's, it's a square into the corner compared to how McNish was running. And he would get great, just tremendous runs off of six going on the banking. And that's how he eventually got up underneath Allen um, to do what they ended up banging off each other. When, I, when they are banging off each other, I was definitely shitting my pants. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, uh, and, but, and, but never was I panicked because I knew he's pissed off. Uh, this wasn't going to go unscathed. Someone's going to lose some blood over this, uh, because of the turn one incident. But, uh, fortunately, uh, you know, when you're inside somebody going into the bus stop, if you're outside, you're taking life into your own hands at that point. And, and McNish relented, uh, at some point. And it's just, it's funny now because today they would hug each other. Right. Uh, back then at McNish's, you know, can't believe someone would do something and try to kill him that way. You know, it was a little dramatic. So, uh, but, uh, you know, that's what needed to be done that day. And, and, you know, AJ, you remember AJ had just signed that contract with Penske and NASCAR that year, uh, about a, I don't know, two or three weeks before we went to the Rolex, you know, so he had a lot to prove and, and I'll never forget Roger calling me after the race and literally said to me, I knew there was a reason why I hired AJ. Wow. And uh, I've never said that to anyone, but he, he, he did say that to me. Uh, as the future, you know, it's funny how things work out. It ended up being a tough road. But, um, but at that moment, you know, you know, AJ was the king of the world and, uh, and deservedly so. So I was in victory lane up on the little photographer podium or podium, you know, stand area to shoot across, uh, shoot the car, shoot the podium and such been there brother for many Rolex 24s. Obviously we've got, you know, multi-class racing. So there are many winners that come through in victory lane of all that I've seen in the years I've been doing this, the. Number 60, Michael Shank Racing, uh, Gen 3 Riley Ford with its crew pushing the car in, its drivers falling out of the thing, cheering like mad, going crazy. One of the happiest, most joy-filled, relief-filled visuals I can ever recall. The just explosive underdogs just did it type thing was immense i don't know how many uh bush lights you'd had by the time you got to victory lane there shank but tell me what you recall about that because it was a statement making thing we'll get to this in a sec that that really uh it started paving a road that you've you've been on now for many years 
for for me, it was just a pressure relief valve, like releasing itself because uh, we had been so close and, and, you know, are we going to ever get it done and we're we not going to get it done. And, and, you know, by the way, I mean, we haven't done it since then either, but, you know, talk that about time, that. but, 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 you know, on the other hand, you know, it was just a, a, a sense of uh, accomplishment and uh, proud of, of, of so many people, including my wife and what we, you know, what we've been through together to try to get the thing to that point. And, um, it was just, it was just pure joy. It just, it just was pure. And those, you know, those minutes, you know, when you're in victory circle and I remember even being on the golf cart, going to the media room afterwards. And those just minutes of pure love and happiness and, uh, everything you can ever imagine. And I remember thinking about where are we going to have a party tonight? And, uh, <laughs> Where'd you and, end up uh, going? Don't tell me it was like McDonald's drive-in. No, or something. no, no, no. We went to, uh, I just lost it. Who was a pro basketball player that had the restaurant right up just the exit north of, uh, I just lost his name. Oh, I know who you're talking about. I've forgotten as well. But anyways, we had our big party there and it was great. And Jim France stopped by and it was just, you know, it was just, uh, um, it was just a time to, get a bunch of people that, you know, cared about each other and, and, and together and, and, and thank them. And, you know, it was had zero to do with money, right? Like we needed to have, we needed a budget to run, which we, you know, thanks to John Pugh we had. Um, but, you know, it was just about, you know, getting this thing done and, and, and you know, on the 50th anniversary of all things, we got, how lucky do we get, we get to win the 50th. And, uh, you know, it was just a, uh, it was just awesome. And, uh, and I kept that car and that car's here this weekend. And, um, um, you know, and somebody someday will get to enjoy that car. I'm, I'm not going to bury it with myself. You know, I'm, I'll let someone else have it at some point. And, um, you know, I have the original motor marshal. I have the driver's suits. I have the helmets. Uh, I have the original nose that we pulled off and I had just an autograph and all the drivers and, um, you know, it's just a bunch, it's just a real, it's a real timestamp, you know, for us. Well, tell me, uh, I'll put together a group of investors and we'll buy it and hand deliver it to, uh, Justin's daughters. Um, that would be wonderful. I, and I, and I, and I you know, I have some stuff and just gotta, you know, I, I, when, when Justin passed, I sent a bunch of stuff that Justin always forgot his stuff with me for some reason. Right. And to this day, we just moved to a new shop uh, two months ago, okay? And to this day, I still find Justin stuff in my shop. And so I'm putting together, and, and I mean uh, 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 shoes, uh, gloves, uh, a helmet bag, uh, tear-offs. It's just like a time work continuum. I literally have it. So I'll put a care package and send it to the girls, and hopefully they'll appreciate that at some point so well i was going to ask about that because you've told me about this many times over the years privately but you have held on to uh, there are many things you have not held on to or held on to as firmly as you have justin's gear from this victory and i know that with his loss as close as you were to him as close as he and i were you know, of course, you, you want to hold on to a piece of your friend who's no longer with you, but uh, I do appreciate the fact that 
beyond just sentimentality. Uh, this is never something you're going to uh, put up for one of the kind no, of poachers. Of not. Uh, I, I hate the people who are always trying to buy helmets and stuff from, from you know, race car drivers who've passed, uh, you know, from their families and whatnot. But this has never been a commodity to you. This has been something very personal where in the absence of a dear friend, uh, this is part of the, the great memories of one of you know his biggest achievements ever in the sport, uh, one of your biggest that you achieved together. So I've just always appreciated that about you, Mike. That uh, no, you, no, you viewed this I in had, a different light. I had multiple J. Well helmets, right? So I've got so so I've got a plan here. So I've got I think I had three. I sent one back to the girls immediately after the incident in fifteen. Uh, I've got one from two thousand. He he gave them to me, by the way, Marshall. I didn't. I mean, he just gave them to me. So, so in 06, he gave me that helmet that sits there. And I have the helmet from the winning 2012. And that'll be on, that'll, people that come to my shop, uh, my new shop, that'll be a part of the Rolex 24 win display, the four helmets. So I have John's and Oz's and AJ's and Justin's. And um, those will, you know, those will go to, you know, I don't know, my family or their family, you know, the girls, you know, especially uh, his kid, his family, you know. Um, uh, I'm sensitive to that, you know, his fire suit from that time. I think they have one and I have one now. I, I sent a bunch of stuff to the girls, so I'm not totally sure what I have left now, but, uh, I kept a little because, uh, it means a lot to me and, uh, it has zero to do with, you know, reselling or any of that crap, but, um, uh, it'll be on display more than anybody for, for people to see and enjoy. And, uh, and we'll put that car you know, that car will go out on display in my lobby, you know, at different points along with the pace car from the Indy 500 and the, the big things that have happened in our life, you know. Amen. Well, let me ask one thing to close. Bit of an obvious thing, but, you know, you and I talk about um, your history, the team's history a lot. This 2012 victory, uh, this was not only a crowning achievement in and of itself, but if we talk about dominoes, Man, this started knocking down some big ones. Not all of them paid off immediately, right? Tried to enter right. any car in 2012. That didn't work right. out exactly on that timeline. But what do you look back at now uh, with this 2012 victory? What do you look back at and how do you trace this result to where you are today? Because for those who don't know the story, holy crap, it's almost a direct line. Yeah, um, I think the 20, you know, we, we had some success and things and people kind of knew who we were, but we weren't necessarily getting the big results to really garnish attention from the OEMs. And in my business, auto racing, the OEM side of the relationships is incredibly important. And, and getting an OEM to care or invest or do a deal with you is, is kind of the lifeline of how we survive. And, um, I don't, I don't think it would have happened, um, without that 2012 win. I, and 2012 leads to end of 2016, by the way, which was Honda and getting the NSX deal for GTD. And I think without that, that relationship, that everything that we worked for in 2012, which is, you know, Daytona prototype Ford, 
the relationship I had with I have with you know Jim France and the France family and Grand Am at the time and all those things were a tornado turning right and as we swept forward you know we did in 2013 we did the uh, we did the speed thing we built a car for uh, Jim France and we we went real fast at Daytona and that was a good thing and you know and we just kind of kept this tornado moving kind of north in time. And eventually, when the time came, we uh, switched to P2 out of DP, which we saw the tea leaves there, really, and um, and had a and started a relationship with Honda, and um, and therein lies the opportunity for, you know, a, G, a DPI program and a GTD program. We got the GTD program, and we won almost three championships in a row with it, and um, you know, and here we are today. Jim, Jim Meyer comes, Liberty Media comes, Elio Castro Neves comes, and we win the 105th, or, you know. <sighs> it's almost like the universe thinks you're an okay dude, Michael Shank. Well, I, well <laughs> I don't know about that, but uh, it's definitely it's definitely been a fun ride and uh, very emotional and uh uh, and we're not done yet. And we're not. And, and by the way, we're not done. And uh, we have a Brazilian that has an opportunity to win five. And uh, our cars are in the wind tunnel next week. And uh, uh, you know we're going at this as hard as we ever have. Amen, brother. Thank you. Thank you. Thank okay. you for uh, bringing us back. So Oz. You were the person that everybody credits as being the uh, team builder, the glue guy that brought everybody together. And when I think about that, great times, hard times, but all culminating in a 2012 victory at the Rolex 24. Before we get to some of the details about the race, Oz, why don't we just do a little bit of a, a look back 10 years later? What comes to mind about this event? What did it mean to you? What has it meant to you now as uh, your full-time racing career uh, has, has wound down a little bit? Where does this result live with you in terms of all of your career achievements? Well, um, it's, it's interesting, your question, because uh, it's been 10 years, and uh, to me it seems like it was like yesterday. You know, uh, it seems like it was not too long ago. It was one of the most incredible days of, of my uh, racing career. Um, I, um, you know, I I started racing the go-karts, went to Formula cars, uh, went to England. Uh, I was the promised uh, next Brazilian Ayrton Senna to jump into Formula One. And, uh, uh, you know, when... Uh, the sponsors ran out and, um, you know, deals went down. I thought my, my life was over. My career was over. I thought I could never be happy, you know, because, uh, my focus was formula one and, uh, little I know that, uh, you know, God has its mysterious way of doing things. And, and, uh, you know, jump into sports cars. I could not, be happier I could not have uh, you know uh, been happier driving driving a car 
and uh, I I was surrounded with uh, great teammates, great friends, and um, and uh, winning winning Daytona was like it was like crazy. It was like oh my god, you know. Uh, I thought I would never be happy, and you know I'm I'm you know I'm exploding with joy, and um, you know I remember I remember at the podium you know after the race uh my daughter somehow jumped the fence and 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 grabbed me from behind and i go like man who's this lady here and i look and it was my daughter and i go like you know it it, it was like a fairy tale to be honest um you know i i i i knew i knew that we could do it um it, it just took a little longer uh, for some reason, uh, I think we could have uh, won it, uh, you know, a little bit before. But I tell you, it came at you. It came at uh, a, a good time, and uh, you know, we uh, we were mature enough at that time to enjoy it the way we did. Let's talk about this event, Oz. So I've already spoken with Shank and Dinger about how. There had been some great results at the Rolex 24 for the team before, but also some heartbreak. So we know that part. We know how the 2012 race was really feeling like a little bit of a, uh, a redemption. But I do appreciate the fact that I know for you, there was a lot of effort that got put into the four of you as drivers uh, trying to find a setup that really worked for everyone. It, there seemed to be like more than ever uh, a harder, greater effort to work as a four-person unit. And I'm not saying you guys didn't before. I'm just saying it It felt like 2012 just there was a decision to take things to kind of the next level. Tell me about that. Tell me about this, the unity that really seemed to stand out as such a big factor in 2012 and how that maybe shaped uh everything about the event right so um as you know we all have uh you know our own um you know driving style and uh you know i i want to i'm one of those guys that i never stop thinking never i remember sometimes even shank making fun of me because i would uh, i would just call the shop so much and say, Hey, I have, I had, I have an idea. And, and Shank would, uh, would shout to Dale, our engineer, Hey, Dale has an idea. And, uh, and so on and on. But I, I had been thinking, you know, and, and, uh, and, uh, and I knew that been coaching, uh, for so much longer and analyzing data, I knew that we, we should have, you know, uh, the setup certain way that everyone could drive, uh, faster and, and, and more comfortable, uh, for, for the 24 hours. So we, uh, we spoke, we tried different stuff and, um, uh, you know, um, it didn't work for some of the drivers. And then, you know, I remember specifically with, with AJ, for example, AJ is a, I mean, he's my brother, man. I, I love the guy so much, and 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 I love him for being what he is. 
you know, he's a guy that he's open to learn and everything. And I remember, you know, saying, you know, this, this worked for, for, you know, uh, us here. So why don't you drive this way? And we talked a little bit about driving style and, uh, everyone kind of accommodated, um, uh, you know, uh, that and, um, and we were able to do that. Uh, we were able to do that in, in 2013 also that I had my broken foot. You know, we, we just took the, you know, the recipe from 12 and took it to 13. Um, you know, and, and having the drivers that, uh, the teammates that compete against all the other cars and not compete within ourselves in that car, that, that was, that, that is the key for, for, you know, uh, a good, uh, a good result on an endurance race. We all, uh, had a lot of respect for each other. AJ was Justin's, uh, you know, IndyCar Indy teammate for so long. And, uh, you know, I, I coached AJ when, uh, when he came out of go-karts. I knew, uh, how capable he was and, and, uh, was coaching John. So, you know, we, we knew a lot about ourselves and what we were able to and capable of doing. And, um, you know, we just, um, we just formed a, a, a force. Uh, you know, of drivers to go against uh, everyone else. So let's talk about the rhythm of the race. Uh, as I've, I've mentioned a few times in some of uh, the, the interviews for this, Oz, the end of the race is what gets all the attention. But why don't you break open the strategy? <clears throat> and you, <laughs> you were never a driver for Shank. You were an uncredited team manager strategist engineer business development person like you know uh, you did so many things and drove as well that you know your fingerprints are on every decision it feels like tell me about how you came up how the team came up with a game plan on who is going to drive when to start the race the approach right how hard do we push how hard do we not push you know what was the general mindset coming into maybe the first half of the race that you remember i mean uh we 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 had the pre-race meeting and uh you know we put a lot of scenarios on the table uh i don't know how many we 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 picture and uh at the end none of them worked we had to improvise in the middle of the race because uh if i remember well um john had a great pace and uh and that kept kept us always on uh, on the race uh, on on the uh, on the same uh, lap of the leaders, um, and um, you know, AJ, Justin, I mean, you know, they they were on fire that day, and um, we had, if I remember well, you know, we had X amount of tires that we we uh, that were allocated to the race, and uh, and me and Justin, we could do two stints. Uh, in a set of tires and 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 uh, and do it well with uh, with good average green lap and 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 AJ would would uh, you know would also have a great pace but he quite couldn't get to the to the end of the second stint so uh, every time I came out of the car you know I would be texting uh, Shank uh, you know I would be on my uh, motorhome and Shank on the on the on the on the dag stand and um, you know we. You know, I told him. I said, "Hey, why don't, why don't me and Justin just 
keep going back to back all through the night and we let we let uh, AJ rest and um, and uh, we're gonna have a fresh soldier at the end of uh, at the end of the you know the end of the race at the end of the race so a few things happened a few few things happened in the way that which were which was uh, interesting uh, we we had a problem with the right rear yeah that was yeah, that, that was a little, uh, if I remember well, it was the right rear that, that, that uh, you know, was a little hard to come out. The wheel was hard to come out. The, the lug nut, uh, yeah. The, yeah, and, yeah and, that. And, me, and me and Justin, we were going back to back, back to back, back to back. Um, and, uh, and I remember uh, Justin did his last stint. I jumped in for my, my last stint before uh, handling it to AJ. And I, and I remember being extremely exhausted like totally exhausted uh and uh shank uh look at me and goes like us we gotta make this happen you gotta give the car uh uh to aj on the lead because we we have this problem right so it, it it was uh it was uh one of those things that you you, you go like okay i've gotta do it i gotta do this you know uh you know just just took it super chilled and easy and uh and went for it and uh i was getting tired more and more tired until you know uh i, I had like a, a a huge battle with uh with alan mcnish for the the most of the stint and that took my focus out of uh, everything else but you know just giving the car to aj on the lead right so and 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 i remember that um there was a yellow flag that came came in and like in the middle of the stint, so it would not it, it would not work for us if I came out of the car and he, and and then said, "Can you do can you do another one?" And as I always say, I go like, "Of course, Mike. Of course, you know, of course I can." So went for it, um, came out of the car, gave the car to AJ on the lead and. And I remember, and it gives me goosebumps talking to you about this. I remember coming out of the car with such a a, a sense of accomplishment mm. and 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 happy, uh, happy with with what happened, and happy happy with with the drive and driving. Because you know, sometimes when when you when you get to, to situations like this. You put so much pressure on yourself that you, 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 sometimes you do drive well, but you don't enjoy it because it's so much pressure. But I remember somehow that, that thing with that much pressure, pressure was, was pure joy, mm. right? Pure joy. And, and I knew that if I had given the car to AJ on the lead, he would take it from that point on to check her flag and we would win the race. Right. So, and I was like, so sure of it that I, you know, I, I remember being in the, in the, you know, in the, in the pits, uh, watching his, uh, his stint and thinking to myself also, man, it's a lot harder watching from the outside than being there. Cause <laughs> you know, uh, he took on the fight with Alan with Alan McNish and it was, uh, and it was as spicy as you can, as you can get. And, uh, and it was, it was just amazing, amazing to watch, uh, you know, AJ drive and, 
and uh, and uh, the way he fought with Allen, uh, and uh, you know the way he brought the car um, uh, to the checker flag in in in, in P1. Um, I always tell everyone, uh, not because AJ is my friend, but because AJ is the driver that he is, uh, even nowadays. In my opinion, he's he is one of the best American drivers, if not the best. Um, he is just amazing in so many uh, aspects. Uh, I know him since he was super young, and uh, I always had like uh, um, uh, 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 my eyes would always kind of uh, shine when I saw him, you know. And um, you know, I just I I was just sure that you know if if uh, if if we didn't have any mechanical, we you know we would win the race. We we would win the race. I always think, Marshall, that you, you that there's always someone trying to work harder than you mm. that will be competing against against you. And I remember, man, I mean, I I used to I always put a lot of uh you know a lot of a lot of uh, I I give I give everything I have always, but you know when when you find the the correct measurement. You don't overdo it because sometimes you try to do everything you try, try to do too much and it doesn't work. Right. So for, for that year, that race with the four of us, it was the perfect measurement from all of us, from everyone. I mean, I could not have done that last stint physically if it, if it wasn't Shank just, you know, cheering me on on the radio saying, you can do it. You're doing a great job. Come on, man. You know, bring it home, bring it home you know, and, and so on and on. So, uh, you know, and, and all the mechanics, uh, you know, going through uh, the, the, the hurdles that they were going through and, and, and pulling it off, pulling the pit stops off. So it, it was just like one of those things that everything happened right, you know. So, mm. um, I, I, you know, it, it's one of those days that you want to, you want to be playing on your mind. And when I spoke to you and uh, it's amazing how well I can relieve those days, you know, I can see those things again. I mean, if you, I can talk to you about other good races that I did, but they are not as clear as, as when I think about this race. I mean, it, it is just amazing. You know, I'm just blessed to be able to uh, have been with, uh, with that group of guys, uh, you know, with my, my teammates, uh, that became my super friends and uh, and uh, and Shank, which man, I you know uh, how many years I was with him, and uh, I was just remembering, man. I see him now with his IndyCar team and uh, winning Indy in the Indy 500, and uh, you know his his uh, his um, you know uh, IMSA uh, uh, prototype, and I remember the back in the days where we would be talking on the phone and trying to make like decisions that would be so simple today. I mean, obviously the sport evolved so much and everything so much different. And, but you know, just what we were and, and what Shank became, it is just, um, you know, I, I just want to applause and, and clap my hands to a guy that I uh, admire so much ask this of shank and of aj and steph wilson as well where does this win 
live with you among all your achievements. And I know we opened speaking about this with a little 10 years of, uh, of time to think about it, but does this still sit at the mountaintop for you? Yeah, absolutely, man. It's on a mountaintop and it will be on a mountaintop. I'm 57, you know, still racing here and there, but, uh, you know, to achieve something like, like with that mag- magnitude, uh, you know, um, uh, it's not going to happen anymore. So that to me, it's, it sits so high, uh, on everything that I've done, uh, in my career. It's even hard to describe. Steph Wilson. I recall seeing a tall drink of England walking down the pit lane in 2012 might have been uh, the roar i'm forgetting exactly what at this point in time but there was an equally as tall uh drink of england that would be the wilson brothers looking back 2012 and this amazing victory for your brother justin that that little terrier known as aj allmendinger for zill's beautiful oswaldo <laughs> negri jr and just the the stately John Pugh, and I'm saying the obvious. I sure wish I could be asking your brother about this, and you do too. Among the many things, looking back 10 years ago, Steph, want to try and share with folks what this 2012 achievement meant to your brother. I remember at the time this feeling like the biggest win of his career but tell me what you remember about being there. And then let's also talk a little bit about the reaction afterwards, but tell me about the vibe you recall back in 2012 coming off of a, a tough 2011 Rolex 24 with Shank where, uh, Justin Dinger and Michael McDowell finished seventh. Well, first of all, you know, Justin had had kind of a tough off season cause, uh, you know, he had the, the back injury at mid Ohio, which, yeah. you know, put him out for the whole, uh, off season or well, the whole uh, the remainder of the season in 2011 and then uh you know meant that uh you know he was out for the off season as well um and i think because of that if i remember correctly his rv was still in indy and i was living in indy at the time and he asked me to help him drive it down you know justin didn't have a, a coach driver like like most of the drivers do um so yeah, I agreed to that. I was like, you know, for sure. Like, that'd be great. You know, really get uh, bonding time with Justin. Uh, you know, I said, as long as I don't have to drive through the Appalachian Mountains, through, you know, uh, Tennessee. And he's like, yeah, no big deal. No, I'll, I'll do that stint, you know. I'm like, I'm n- never driven an RV before, so I thought, you know, maybe avoid that uh, that section of road. Don't fall off the mountain, and, uh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, we got going, and... I remember uh, we, were, we were approaching that part of the journey and Justin was passed out asleep next to me. And I'm like, well, how is it that he's asleep right at the time when he said I, you know, he was going to take over driving? And uh, there's me driving this RV, <laughs> you know, soaring at the wheel down the, down the mountains. And, I, I, you know, I'm not an RV expert don't know much about him um and i'm i'm breaking and i'm like it's really not slowing down very well like this is <laughs> this is really sketch and i'm like just just wake up and he's like and he wakes up from his sleep and he's like oh 
I'm like, hurry up. <laughs> and I'm like, you did this on purpose, right? And, uh, you know, at that point, I'm still, you know, trying to slow this thing down, coming down the, the backside of the, uh, that, you know, those roads in the mountains there. And uh, that's when he mentioned to me that put the uh, the engine braking on, and, and uh, then it was all under control from there. But I just remember that being uh, quite hilarious. And uh, thanks for letting you know, me that. try and die here, uh, coming down the mountain. Like you know, thanks <laughs> saving me, big brother. Wow. You know, I'm like what 21, 22 years old uh, at the time, and uh, never driven an RV before. I'm like, ah, sure, I'll figure it out. You know. <laughs> Yeah, it was uh, made, made things pretty interesting. Um, but yeah, that was, you know, we got to share that journey and just, uh, you know, um, it was, you know, look back and some good memories from that, from that trip to help him get down here and then spent the raw here with him. And I think I was here for the start of the race weekend, if I remember correctly. I've been, I came to a couple of them, so they all kind of blend together. Um, but uh, I do remember being in the transporter, in the Shank transporter, and you know, just what an amazing atmosphere it was inside that little team at the time. And, uh, you know, the camaraderie between those four drivers, obviously that wasn't their, their first uh, time together um, at Daytona, that the, that group of four. And it was such a special bond that they all shared. So, you know, I think you know, there was a lot of a lot of determination on Justin's part, you know. I, so 2011 was with Shank, was that correct? Yeah, and then the year and before then 2010 was 2010 with Chip, yeah, the kind of and famous that, Ganassi, uh, the Ganassi incident, which um, Justin did everything correctly, heard a loud yeah. bang at the back of the car, and pitted right away while the team was you know running well uh, towards the end of the race and did everything he was supposed to, and turns out that I think it was just a big clod of of tire. Uh, rubber and such that had uh, unwedged itself from the bodywork and hit the tire and made a big bang. But uh, there was a little bit of sensationalism and acrimony surrounding it. Like, ah, they had the win in hand, uh, Justin, but Justin pitted and they yeah. lost the race. But in reality, again, um, he did exactly what he was supposed to do, but there was still a kind of a lingering negative connotation with that yeah and and i think that's honestly what fueled you know fueled him to to 2012 you know because i like you said it kind of that was a, a bit of a dark cloud that that got put over him and i remember asking him about it actually and saying do you regret that or do you, do you think you should have done anything different and he said no i did exactly what i was what I thought I was supposed to do. I did everything right. I didn't have a crystal ball that told me that the car wasn't broken. Um, you know, so he, he, you know, he didn't, he, you know, he, he, he really felt like he was in the right at that point. Um, but still, yeah, there was, like you said, that, that negative connotation about that incident. And I think honestly that, that really fueled him and, and really what I do remember the most, obviously coming back from 2011, having the, the back injury, being out and then that was kind of the end of the the Jerome Reinbold stint and then he was I think it was anyway yeah and going back to coin in 2012 and I just remember just there's certain times in my in his career that I remember being around him when he just he just had this determination like I'm gonna go out here and show show what I'm made of and 
I definitely remember that about um, January at Daytona with him and just just the, the t- determination um, in his presence and his aura that he just had that was just like, you know, determined to, to kind of um, make it right at Daytona and, and bring him bring him a win. So there's some interesting elements in there, Steph. So his first couple of Rolex 24s were with Shank. Got the call to go to Ganassi, which was the dominant Grand Am Daytona prototype uh, team at that time. Had you know won the Rolex Twenty Four already a couple times, and was in the 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 big car, the one with Scott Pruitt and such. Uh, Memo Rojas, you know the the perennial championship contender, if not championship winner. That doesn't exactly go according to plan, and so he returns to shank the following year in 2011 things go okay but not great and then you mentioned this mid-ohio indycar uh, incident where you know hurts his back hurts his tailbone is out for uh, is basically done with the season at that point and so he's coming to daytona having done a lot of a lot of rehabilitation trying to get his back correct being nine foot 12 as he was <laughs> knowing that he had a, you know, three foot tall teammate and dinger and there's no like, you know, seat on a rail that slides back and forth to uh, accommodate and such. Part of the deal here was him coming back after this injury, as you mentioned, crazy determined to set things correctly. There's already kind of a built in, I don't know if I want to say weak point, but even though he'd done all the rehab, and and whatnot his back was still prone to being painful and sore and problematic uh if it was aggravated and having to crunch himself into a ball to fit in the car um to again accommodate his other teammate size as well and that was a a, something he had to fight through right it's Mm -hmm. not like he just had a 2012 Rolex 24 uh, win where it was just comfy and easy and such. There was some real grit and determination he had to show as well. Oh yeah, for sure. And, and, and not just, uh, you know, squeezing into the seat, but even the driver change as well. You know, that's something that I've learned to appreciate uh, these past, you know, couple of days, a couple of, a couple of weeks is just how, challenging that aspect is when you're six foot three and a half you know it's like we have much less mobility with our arms because you you don't you know um uh, because of the angles and everything inside the car so you know especially in that dp car uh, um yeah i've got even more respect for that win now uh knowing what the driver changes were probably like as you mentioned we're between Justin, uh, the size he is with uh, with AJ and the size he is, he is as well. So, yeah, no, uh, a massive amount of determination on his part, and I I definitely could sense that just being around him, um, you know, that entire month. Another thing that jumps out here, Steph. So AJ's performance to close the race banging yeah. wheels and going, you know, wacky psycho with uh, another <laughs> wacky McNish. psycho person, Alan McNish, right? Yeah. That's kind of the, the big 
uh, one of the biggest takeaways and memories for those who saw the race. I don't know if it pays full service to Justin, knowing that overnight, um, maybe the least covered portion of the event, he was putting in some, some stints. Crazy. It was really hot and humid. Those cars just baked you uh, like you were in an oven to begin with. But before handing over to Dinger to take it home and have that epic fight uh, and cross the finish line first, I don't know if enough folks recall that without Justin's performance before that, with his back uh, acting up and being full of pain and uh, dehydrated and just all these, you know, uh, almost a, a battle within the cockpit just to survive, that's maybe one of the bigger untold aspects of this win what do you recall from that and and do you recall the big man sharing any of that uh fight that he had to go through uh after the race you know what i i actually i actually don't you know i i paid attention the whole night watching the stints and you know i was obviously so proud of him so yeah i i definitely recall the the um the effort that he put in and wish that it had got um, maybe uh, like as you say a bit more recognition for his 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 part in it in it all. Um, but even still, yeah, that doesn't matter. I mean, he it was. I think it all all it mattered was to him. You know, I think he was not trying to prove anything to anyone else, just just proving to himself. But um, you know, I, I unfortunately, yeah, we never we never talked about it that much. To be honest, it was just we. We're obviously, um, you know, he never, we never really got into this, into, oh, what about that stint? Or can you tell me more about that? You know, I just, I guess, uh, just thought we had more time to uh, maybe get to those stories in the future, you know? Why don't we close on this, brother? So, big man, certainly, of all the wins that he had in his career, there were many that were really impressive, really meaningful. Where do you recall? This Rolex 24 win sitting for him among all of his other success. Uh, I'm having to believe it was one of the biggest uh, for him at the time. Uh, but where do you uh, where do you rate this, and, and what do you recall within the family? I know mom and dad um, and his daughters, obviously, and Julia. Obviously, everyone was incredibly pleased uh, for the result, but. And what comes to mind about where this this lives with all he's done? I yeah, I definitely agree. I think it's one of his biggest wins, and the only thing that I think may potentially eclipse that was probably his last win, and the win at uh, Texas, because for so you know that and that just has meanings for another another reason. That was just the fact that so many people doubted him on a on a oval that it meant so much to him to, to get the win on the oval. But of all the, all his wins, I would agree. I think this one being the 50th anniversary, having the setbacks in 2010 um, and having that, that negative uh, stigma because of 2010 and just that determination that I saw, the fact that he just sort of, you know, was able to, bring that determination and achieve achieve that win 
And just the fact that it was with Shank, someone that he was very, very close to as a, as a team owner driver's relationship. And then with the group that I would say is he would not just consider teammates, but some of his best friends, you know, Osnagri, John Pugh and, and AJ. I think it was just overall just a very, very special win um, for many, many reasons. So, yeah, I would definitely rank it as, as his biggest win. AJ, we're looking back 10 years. When did you meet this this wacky, beer-loving uh, ex-race car driver to uh, then consider becoming part of his uh, yearly Grand Am effort at Daytona? Yeah, I met Mike... Uh, let's see. I think probably, I guess it'd have to be at the end of 2005. And that's when Justin and I were driving for Roosport. And I believe Mike had reached out to either Jeremy Dale or, or Barry Waddell. Jeremy was uh, the team president of Roosport and, and Barry was our, you know, driver coach and, and driver personnel guy. And, B-dub. And, you know, yep. B-dub. And I'd known Jeremy and, and Barry from my Skip Barber days. So, I believe Mike reached out to one of them or both of them, however it may be, and, and kind of asked, hey, you know, would your two drivers be interested in driving for me at the Rolex 24-hour in, in 2006? And we, Justin and I went and did, I think it was like each, a couple of laps at Homestead uh, late in, in 2005, I believe. And, you know, I'd met Mike then and didn't think anything of it. And we're doing rolex in 2006 and it was myself and oz which i had known oz as well from skip barber and and oz was always so kind and and pleasant to me he was kind of working with you know the brazilian drivers and and the mexican drivers in in at that point there was a big influx of of those drivers in skip barber so but you know oz was always really pleasant to me uh, all through my skip barber days. So it was kind of cool to get to drive with, with Oz and, and Mark Patterson, which was Oz's co-driver early on with, with Michael Shank. So it was the four of us and we went and did 2006 Rolex and about won the thing. And I guess, I don't know that, that, uh, our, our relationship blossomed, blossomed and, and our love grew from there, I guess. Yeah. Well, I mean, just from a, personality standpoint you and shank seem like you you know would become uh, instant friends obviously you and justin as teammates and champ car become good friends so it there's always a bit of a plug and play feel about this aj of like okay we know the two indycar teammates are, are locked in and on you know uh in a really good place and very effective together shank approach wise definitely a little more of, you know, a challenger brand than a big, uh, you know, all conquering team at that point. There's to me, just a good feel about this. You mentioned Oz kind of the glue guy. He would always have some form of, uh, pro-am person who you mentioned, Mark Patterson. We'll, we'll talk about, uh, the awesome John Pugh here in a little bit, but it was a really cool mix. And I spoke to Shank about this too, kind of leading up to 2012. You guys had a lot of, or some great finishes, some, oh man, boomer bust type finishes where things are going well. And then, uh, the train kind of fell off the tracks. 
What was your mindset, brother? What do you recall, I should say, coming into the 2012 event of having gotten close with Shank, but there are also a couple of uh, kicks in the nuts here at the uh, Rolex 24, a couple of the uh, previous races too. Yeah, I, you know, going back to that 2006 race, it went so smooth. We had almost a near-perfect race. I, I believe a toe link came loose kind of uh, – I remember this distinctly because what Justin did was amazing because the thing was crabbing down the front straightaway, and he went pit. He just thought he could drive through it. And I just remember thinking after that race because it was my first ever – race with a roof on top of my head, let alone a endurance race being a 24 hour race. And I just thought, man, everybody's talked about this race kind of being grueling and difficult. Like we just about won the thing. <laughs> if it wasn't for the, t- if it wasn't for the toe link, we would have won the race. And I thought, man, this, like this race doesn't seem that hard. And then, yeah, the kick to the nuts started basically from there on out to where, we had no luck and uh, I, you know, I can kind of remember almost each year, 2007, we had a lot of, we had really fast cars, uh, but we had some, just some mechanical gremlins that really kind of took us out early and, and never gave us a great shot at it. But from there on out, it was just really just heart ripping out of your chest many of times. And 2008, we had a dominant race car and, I felt like we were going to win this race and, and I was about to get in the car with three hours to go when the right rear broke and that was it. And then 2009, I believe our car was even faster, which blew our minds of how the car could even be faster from 2008. And we had a crankshaft sensor, I believe go bad and, and take us out of, of the win there in 2010. I believe we had a shot to win the race uh, with an hour to go and, I went down the front straightaway and they said, Oh, I think we were battling for second. And they said, uh, by the way, AJ, you're on fire right now. And uh, I was like, Hey, <laughs> hell yeah. I'm on fire. Yeah. I'm driving the hell out of this thing. They're like, no, get out of the car. It's on fire. And I'm like, looked in my mirror. I was like, Oh hell, they ain't joking. Like it's literally on fire right now. So it, it was just, and then 11, I think we, we just, it wasn't a great car. Justin and I drove together, and I think that was my maybe it was me, Justin McDowell, maybe that year. Yeah, and a Delara so, instead of a Riley. Yeah, and it just so at that point, it was kind of one of those things where Mike had said to me at, at once prior to that, it said, Man, you deserve to win this race. Like, you if you Chip asked me about you, or you know, teams asked me, like, if, if you want to go drive for one of them. I completely understand. And I was like, you know, F off Mike. Like, I'm like, we're going to win or die together trying to win this race. Like it, it's, I'm, it, I, I won't quit you, man. Like, wow. you, like we're, we, we, we got this relationship. I, I just can't quit you. But that was, so, you know, 2012, we went there and tested and like usual car was stupid fast and qualified up front and we dropped the green and, I believe Oz drove the thing right to the front at the drop of the green. And it's like, okay, here we go again. And it was just one of those things like, okay, what's going to get us this time. And, and that was kind of, I had remembered about early in the race of 2012. So interesting lineup here. Mentioned John Pugh uh, a moment ago. If we're talking about differences uh, to the previous pro-am driver in the Rolex 24 lineups, that being Mark Patterson, Mark, 
true businessman, not a person who'd grown up like you since birth, you know, driving race cars. Even so, that guy was really good. High, very high achieving. Uh, you know, I think of like a Ben Keating type today where you go, okay, again, not a pro, but if you're looking for a, a person bringing some funding, uh, to race among the pros in a car, he's going to make sure you're in a pretty happy place. No disrespect to John Pugh. John had to work harder to try and get to that place. And I mention this because again, spoken with some others going up against a chip, couple of chip Ganassi cars or a Wayne Taylor, SunTrust, Bill Riley thing, whatever. They're no pro-am drivers in that lineup. So there's definitely uh, some some extra effort required here. Tell me about that dynamic, AJ, because John did his job perfectly, but at the same time, you, you and Oz and uh, the big man, boy, you, you guys had to really give it some extra gas. Yeah, for sure, but that was probably, for me, the peak I'd ever seen the, the best, the, 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 the highest level that I'd ever seen John at. Yeah. And at this point he had probably been working with Oz for what, maybe about four years. And, you know, they were already always at the go-kart track together in Florida. And, and uh, you said it perfectly, you know, Mark was, was probably a lot more experienced and outright uh, a, a bit more pace right at it. And, and, yeah, you know, of course, to uh, to us professionals, still a little bit off, but Mark was always on it. John worked really hard to get to that point from the first time I had driven with him to where we'd gotten in, in 2012. But he was spot on that, that whole, not even at the race, but at the test and uh, even early in the race and at practice leading up, up to the 24 during the week, I just remember thinking to myself, man, he's, he's on it. And, you know, some of the stuff that John struggled at was sometimes in traffic. And that was something he'd really worked on a lot through not only practice and, and carding, but all the races that him and Oz were doing during the grand damn season. But he, he really had worked on it. And I just, remember that whole testing period through the week of the 24 at the start of the race and watching him played out. It, it's the best I'd ever seen him. And on top of that, you know, John, let's no secret. He was footing uh, a ton of the bill yeah, and a lot of his own money. And, and cause he loved it. And not only did he love racing himself, but he loved Michael Shank a brotherhood and the whole brotherhood yeah the whole team the the relationship him and oz had grown to have and then and when i would show up and when jay would show up like you know he would he would completely bring us in like family and it meant just as much to win the race for him as it did to all of us but you know with john he was okay doing his part meaning okay we're not going to split this up six hours each we're going to maybe split this up where it's you know seven for the three of us and and john's going to run an hour or three hours or four hours he and he was okay with that because he knew we had a great shot to win and that was what was unique about john was even though he's the one he's paying for it because he wants to drive the race car 
he didn't need to say, you know what, I need this amount of time in the car and, and I don't care how we're running. And, but he would run at night and he did his job and he was spot on that, that whole time. Let's talk a little bit about the dynamics of the 2012 event. I mean, I think I just cooled off from it uh, just recently. It wasn't necessarily baking temperatures at all times. Humidity, I know, was a big part of things. Also, maybe you could share some insights, AJ. Different from what fans are accustomed to these days with, say, a uh, dpi or lmp2 or similar that have radiators on the sides of the cars uh, not necessarily baking you directly the, the uh, daytona prototypes had front mounted radiators so if you have warmish humid air going through 200 plus degree radiators and then that coming right over the cockpit and into the cockpit uh, all you need is some some carrots some onions and some other vegetables and you're basically making a race car driver stew uh tell folks a little bit about the conditions in which you were racing at times during this 2012 event because there's no air conditioning there were no cool suits that i recall uh this was a race of endurance inside the cars too yes those uh those grand damn cars you know they they had they had some, some higher roofs and now by that time, 2012, they'd gotten more, let's call it racy looking. Uh, the, the, the early grand am cars look like just a, a giant pot of stew, I guess, in the top of the car. So that was one of those things where, but it, you know, with, with the 24, the more often than not, the race starts pretty warm and, and you start in, in three o'clock and, or whatever time it was, two, three o'clock. And, and then you go into the conditions at night where it gets cold and, and then you come back and that sun comes up and, and it gets warm again. But I'd between at that point of being in, in NASCAR, I'd kind of grown accustomed to the heat of the race cars, really the conditions that I struggled with. And that probably J will struggled with is J will being six. Let's call it a, a, a felt six, three and a half. I say he was six, four, uh, and me being, uh, you know, they, they would say five foot two, I'm five foot six, but <laughs> just the difference. I remember I'd always have this argument with, with Jay. Well, I was like, Hey man, um, can, can we, can we, are you sure we can't just scoot the seat and pedals a little bit? And he's like, no, because Jay will would rip his suit every, every year on the, on the paddle shift because his knees were so jammed in and, uh, and I would be stretched out tippy toe. So in 2012, I remember the biggest problem I was having was my back was wrecked because I was stretched out in the car so bad. And that was some of the, the toughest last three hours of the race. Cause I remember I got in for that final three hours and I went to the brake pedal the first time and it felt like there was a knife in my back. And I just thought, Oh my goodness, this is going to be brutally painful for three hours. And thankfully the car was really fast and we were battling for the wind. So I could at least have the adrenaline flowing. But yeah, that was always the, the biggest problem for me it wasn't so much the heat but it was me and Jaywell arguing about you know moving the seat out and seat in and, and pedals and stuff like that and uh i remember when he broke his back at mid-ohio in the indy car me being the the loving best you know best friend that i could be i texted him after i said i hope you're okay 
But does that mean we now get to move the seat in a little bit more for, for the 24? Because you got to be a little shorter now. You're, he was like, no, quarter inch shorter. You still, you still don't get any seat moved in. So I was like, well, crap. But that, uh, I mean, not only is that hilarious, but, and I, uh, we spoke with some others here for this Jay will coming off of that back injury, you know, talk about feeling like a knife in yours. He is also not in a super happy place having to, uh, contort his way to be in the car. And I know it, it is a typical Justin thing where he wasn't crying and complaining over the radio. He actually kept it pretty much to himself, but he was in agony as well. What uh, the finish to the race obviously is the thing that everybody loves and remembers, and we'll get to that in just a sec, AJ. But as I asked Shank to do a little bit, and uh, Justin's brother Stefan to talk about a little bit as well, share your recollections, unless you were asleep and didn't get to see it too much, but uh, of the that early morning or the morning stint that Justin put in, um, obviously setting up the stage for Oz and then you to take it to the finish. But um, I just recall Justin having to do some some miraculous work in the car while in deep pain he was keeping to himself to make sure y'all were uh, not letting that Starworks car, McNish, and some of the other, you know, Lamar legends um, run off and hide or, or even get past you. Yeah, that was uh that was something that you know the way the race played out. Mike, I've, I always give him credit because you know Mike could kind of see. And, and we, let me first say, you know, we we all set the schedule at the beginning of the race. Okay, this is when th- these are kind of generally when the hours are going to be in the race, be in the car when you're not going to be in the car. Uh, but after my my second to last stint which I can't remember what time it was probably about, about four or five in the morning I got done. And, you know, I said, okay, you know, usually debrief with the engineer real quick and talk to Mike and you're back at the motorhome, kind of resting, trying to rest as much as you can to get ready for the next stint. Well, I was kind of calculating out of my head, like, okay, this is what time I think I'm going to be back in the car. And I never really slept and to this day don't sleep well during the 24, especially when it's going well, because the adrenaline's flowing. I think, Oh my God, if I, if I fall asleep and I wake up, the car's going to be out of the race, stuff like that. So I remember kind of getting ready, getting back to my motorhome and saying, okay, I think it's this time I'm going to be back in the car. I'll try to set an alarm. And right at that point, Mike had texted me and said, AJ, we're, you know, how do you feel? I said, I feel good, man. I feel really good. Uh, you know, what, what time you think I'm going to be in the car? And he said, well, this is what we're going to do. Can you do the last three to three and a half hours of the race straight? And I said, yeah, I think I can. And he said, all right, well, this is what we're going to do. We're going to sit you out for your next stint. Have John and Jay will and Oz kind of in a way quadruple between two double stints each and then getting out of the car and getting, getting right back in for, for two more. So I'd kind of fallen asleep. Actually, it, it was really at ease. The, the most I'd ever been at ease at the 24, even though everything that had happened to us, I, I actually fell asleep for about two or three hours and woke up kind of as Justin, I believe had just gotten in or, or had maybe been in for about, say a half hour in that mega stint that he was doing. And 
I sat in my bus and, and watched it and just remember thinking, man, I mean, and, and I'd witnessed up close as a teammate uh, in Champ Car and, and in Rolex a lot of amazing Justin Wilson drives to the point at times where as a teammate in a Champ Car it was sickening because I was like, I don't know how to go that fast. I don't know how he does it. And I just remember thinking, man, this might be the best I've ever seen Justin drive. And he's on it. Like, wow, he is, he's making moves. He's the, the speed, the pace, the precision, everything about him, which to me, Justin Wilson always will be, was then, always will be until the day I go back up and, and see him, one of the best I'd ever seen. And I just, in my mind watching him, I thought, maybe this is the best I've ever seen him. This is wow. amazing to watch. Wow. And he did that whole that whole time, never really putting a wheel wrong. And then Oz got in the car and did the same thing. And I thought to myself sitting there, then I started getting nervous <laughs> before it was my turn because all I could think to myself, along with John Pugh, which is the best I ever seen him, I said, these guys are laying it out there. This is, they're giving me the car in the lead and the best that I've ever seen these guys drive. So it, I put the pressure on myself at that point more than I ever have, which is scary because I put a lot of pressure on myself and said, you cannot let anybody down because they have done their job. Now it's your turn to go do yours. So let's take this home, AJ. So while some of the most brilliant portions of MSR's win in 2012 took place you know, in darkness and or without the full spotlight of the cameras and commentators celebrating your blast to the checkered flag. Uh, obviously, height-wise, you and McNish are probably pretty darn close to one another while you two aren't blessed with immense uh, verticality. Good Lord, there are few other drivers who I can think of that are more tenacious uh, behind the wheel of steer uh, of a race car. So to think of the two of you, uh, you Northern California's finest and McNish Scotland's finest thousand time winner of Lamar, et cetera, et cetera. Like it truly, you could not ask for the two more perfect drivers in identical cars, different teams, but identical cars to settle the race trading some complimentary driving a little bit of rough housing i know as well took place in there tell us about that right from inside the car when does it start to become apparent that oh this isn't going to be polite waves to one another when we try and pass this might become a little dirtier uh alley fight than uh than maybe some would expect yeah, you know, I get, I got on the race car, and I, I think, I think, really through pit stop sequence or or whatever it may be, we had come out second at that point in in the queue, and and McNish was in the car in the Starworks eight car, and and we were both Fords. At this point, we'd kind of shown that we were probably the two cars to beat, so even though there was two and a half, three hours to go, I knew track position was critical because 
it was tough to get around each other. We were so close on speed and I believe they had a little bit of damage at the back of their car, which actually, I don't know how it helped in downforce for the infield, but it helped their straight line speed. So knowing that and being able to see that, I thought, okay, any opportunity you have to make a pass, you have to go do it because you, you don't know if there's going to be another opportunity to make a pass. It's, it's easy to say with three hours to go, yeah, I'm sure I'll get another shot at it, but no, it was, you got to take it if you get the opportunity. So Alan McNish, and this is what I love about the Rolex 24 is you get to race against the best in the world, not just the best sports car drivers in the world, but the best drivers in the world. And McNish had done so much in his career. And at that point, really in 2012, I mean, he was at his peak of, of what you would call endurance driving. He was one of the best there was out there. So I loved going up against that because you want to compete against the best. And uh, I had run him down from a, from a few seconds back. And I remember I got a run on him and our car was really good on, on the brakes. So I got a run on him down the front straightaway and popped out into turn one and had gotten fairly alongside him. I felt like I was pretty door to door at that point, And he drove me straight off the racetrack and that, pissed me off and i said shank's like all right man just calm down i said oh no mm-hmm. i said he's in trouble when i get there and you know because i felt like at that point i said okay now now the gloves are off you you always want to race people how they race you and by no means if i mean it's i'm super aggressive and i'm always going to be aggressive but i felt like when i try to get to the outside of them and and there's two hours to go in the race at this point and he kind of used me up, which I understood because it's the exit of turn one. You kind of can just kind of let your car, if you're the inside car, drift wide. And there's nothing the guy on the outside you can do except run off the racetrack. But I felt like I'd gotten fairly alongside him. I thought, okay, gloves are off now. Now I know how we're going to go about this. And I ran him back down and and I was really, especially in the, in the, the Grand Am prototype cars, I was really good in turn six leading on to, to NASCAR banking turn one. Yeah. And I got the car squared up there and got under him. And, you know, with being in NASCAR at this point now for five or six years, side draft is, is an actual thing. And I know what it is. And I know him being on the outside, having the straightaway speed that he might be able to kind of side draft me and, and use his, use the momentum to clear me back down the back straightaway. So I kind of got up close to him and, I mean, I, I probably was going up and he decided he wanted to come down and we slammed doors a couple of times and I made sure I turned in as late as possible going into the bus stop and hung him out to dry out there and was able to take the lead. And from there it was uh, caution came out and I was loving it. I was actually having a great time. I got on the radio, asked Mike how his blood pressure was at that point. <laughs> that was a good thing about the Grand Am cars at, the, at, at that uh, stage in life. You could bang doors pretty good and them things would would almost take a bullet and so i knew we didn't do any damage to the race car and yeah it was just from there on we never lost the lead and and the only mistake i made was we got to the final pit stop really the final two pit stops and they said do you need water and i didn't want them to open the door i didn't want something to happen where they go to open the door put the ice chest in the little little cooler for for the drink to plug in the hose and the door gets stuck 
So I said, don't you dare do anything we don't have to do on these pit stops. Well, that was a bad mistake because I ran out of water with like an hour and a half to go and didn't want to tell him to open the door to get me some water on the, on the final pit stop. So I ran a long time being very dehydrated, which I, I paid the price after the race when Oz pulled me out of the car. You were, uh, there wasn't much water left in you, but you were indeed a puddle, um, coming out of that thing. Before we get to victory lane, tell me about the emotions despite cramping and I guess being in pain. Tell me about the emotions of crossing the finish line under the checkered flag at the Rolex 24 at Daytona. I mean, you'd won a ton in champ car, et cetera, et cetera. What do you recall from that, that moment of seeing the checkered flag and, and what that represented for you uh, in your career so far to that point? Yeah, I mean, at that point in in, in my life, I mean, it had been really a, a good amount of time since I had won anything. NASCAR, I mean, it's NASCAR is a brutal sport, and uh, I had been close a couple of times in, in winning a race, but never had, and and had been several years. So to be able to cross the line again and and remember that feeling of what it's like to win a race, let alone one of the, one of the biggest races to me in the world. Uh, it meant, it meant everything. And just for me personally at that, at that time. And then really it was talking to Shank on the radio, screaming a lot, things like that. Just that raw emotion that we finally were able to do it together to, to win the race meant the world to me. Uh, so that moment was, was pretty special, but it was really, you know, the next moment of pulling into victory lane that really changed my opinion about what it all meant. Mm. Cause watching you watching the car get pushed in with, from the crew and then watching you, John Pugh, the big man in Oz, the explosion of joy um wait uh, holding on to whether it was an american flag brazilian flag whatever british flag watching you guys hold and, and pump your fists in the air holding the flags uh clutching one another i mean you know, every winner of that race and every class is elated obviously but there it sure looked like there was some extra meaning here uh based on how y'all reacted yeah it, it just you know, for, for so long as a group, whether it was Oz, myself and, and Justin, or it was John and Oz, or it was me and, and, and John and, and Oz. And then to have Justin back in, it, it, it meant we had tried for so long and it just seemed right that, that, that was the group finally to be able to do it. And I, it, it was when I say it's pulling into victory lane and that celebration changed my opinion, because, you know, a lot of the time we race and yeah, you know, we're, we're all one big team and, and you know, there's so much teamwork that goes in, into motorsports, but you know, as drivers, we're sometimes selfish and especially when you're single seater racing, like you're out there to win for yourself and, and for the team. For me, where it took me back was celebrating with everybody and 
just seeing the joy on, on Mike's face and the, the team's face. And a lot of those guys in that were at Michael Shank racing at the time, he'd been the same group ever since I got there. Mm. And that's something about Mike that I'm sure a lot of people know, and maybe some don't. He truly loves his people in the dire times when it looked like they, him and Mary Beth were mortgaging houses and cars just to keep the team going. He wouldn't fire anybody because those were his people. And whether it was a one car team or two car team, like it was always the same people there. So to see them celebrating because they had tried for so long as well. And Justin, because you know, it really, I don't know if it was the year and maybe Marsha, you helped me, but the year before, two years prior when he was at Chip Ganassi, I remember just feeling gutted for him because yeah. he had hit something on the racetrack and their protocol was if he, you hear a loud bang, you immediately go to the garage. You don't even go to pit road. And he made the decision at that time to go to, to go to the garage. They found nothing. And it really turned out that, you know, because of that garage stint, they weren't able to win the race. And I remember thinking that I was just so gutted for him because he did everything that was, you were supposed to do by the protocol, but nothing was found. And, and I knew he took that personally of not winning that race. He felt like he cost, that Chip Ganassi a, a win there. They didn't and, invite him back, which was telling. Yeah, and Did everything and right, that, but and they that lost was, his number. So that and Oz and John, like it meant more. All of a sudden, stepping back to me to win for or to be the guy at least across the the, the finish line to bring the victory to them than it ever did for myself, and that's where my opinion changed, and that's why that race will always mean so much. And, and obviously now with, with Jay will gone, it will always mean even more, but it was like it, it the celebrating and, and it, it, it took me back. Like I'm more happy for them than I will ever be for myself mm. because I, it was, it was just that special of a moment and the celebration and the screaming and Oz, I remember Oz pulled me out of the car and picked me up. And when he did it locked everything up on my body. It's like the adrenaline had flown off. And it was like, and I remember just screaming, put me down. And Justin's grabbing me. I'm like, give me something to drink. I'm doing like, I mean, it was, I had to like lay down, but yeah, that's why it just, for so many reasons, it, it meant, it meant the world to me. The, the pain, the pain of victory. Uh, yeah. That, that's yeah. not one we normally it was a lot associate. Of yeah. I guess the last thing that jumps out, AJ. So since, 2012 again we're looking back 10 years now believe it or not um you've had some more success and all the things that weren't necessarily making your day happy in nascar um leading into this victory in 2012 you've had some great times of late right last year some amazing you know i was i love texting you dude congratulations because you're you're having all the the success you deserve but we're looking back now with cup having or nascar in general i should say um having more success for you there and all that you've achieved since where does this 2012 race continue to fall in terms of importance or meaning uh where does it live with you for so many reasons oh and now if you'd ask me this question 
July last year, I'd say still by far the biggest, biggest win to win at Indy in, in NASCAR was, was something just to win at Indy in general was something I always dreamed of. So that's, that's pretty close. But at the end of the day, with everything we just discussed of, of why it was so important to me and, and what it meant to me, it, to me will always still be the biggest race of my life. And, and that just because of who I did it with and, and what it meant to everybody and all the ups and downs we had to get there to go do it. And all the celebrations that we really can't talk about on here after. (laughs) Shank mentioned you went to, and I still can't remember the name of that. It was a a restaurant owned by a baseball player there or something like that. Um, Um, no, I, well, you can't quote me on this fully because I don't really remember it. Uh, we might've went to Vince Carter's restaurant. Was okay. it Vince Carter? Uh, basketball player. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. Hey, well, yeah. anyways, I will just assume. And you know, if Justin's kids listen to this, we, you know, we don't want to pay too much more of the picture, but, um, beautiful times, my friend. Uh, I'll just close quickly with last night. I was looking through my photos from the race, trying to find some good stuff to go with this. Um, and looking through all the victory lane celebrations, I'll send it to you here uh, when we're done. But you got you guys exploding behind the car and on the car, and then standing on the on the big podium there, holding up your watches. You know, there's a lot of great photos of y'all, but there's a sequence, a short sequence of everyone up on uh, the stage there, all the crew, Shank, you name it. And it's you, John, Oz, and Justin all huddled together, arms around each other, staring at each other, a little bit lost in all the other stuff going on, just having a private moment face-to-face before doing the, the big, more public celebrations and posing for the photos and, and you know, uh, the, the photographers and such. I just thought that was really beautiful because I've seen a lot of Victory Lane celebrations at the Rolex 24 and I don't remember many where the drivers took a moment to say, let's, let's kind of clutch together just for ourselves and at least have a, a couple seconds to, to look at each other and smile and realize what we did before we kind of get handed over to the media and the public for the coming hours. I just thought it said a lot about y'all, like, wow, this really, really is something y'all are forever going to cherish. Yeah, I mean, I think it's always important because you get lost in the, just how quick everything's happening, right? You know, the, the celebrations and, and the pictures and then the, the obligations that come with that, with interviews and, and things like that. And yeah, so I remember what you're talking about because it, it's just like we all, it's, you just need to take a minute, even if it's just one minute to, to stop and, and just take that moment for yourself because otherwise it just kind of like goes by and goes so quick and, and you don't, don't ever, all of a sudden you forget to do that. And next thing you know, you're in the interview room talking about it and then you're at the, the hauler and then at the end of the day, you're back at the hotel getting ready to leave and it just all happened so quick. So yeah, it was, it was fun to be able to just kind of take that moment together. Thanks once more to our man, Mr. Shank, Oz Negri, Steph Wilson, and AJ for going back and 
hopefully giving you some fun stuff here to get ready for the 60th anniversary Rolex 24 Daytona with a little 10-year look back on a, a game-changing, life-changing day for many folks who were part of that number 60 entry there. If you haven't checked it out before, you might pay a visit to marshallpruittpodcast.com. More than 1,200 episodes cataloged there spanning all kinds of stuff. Uh, also, a subscribe page, all the most popular places you might find and listen to this on a weekly basis, and also our merchandise page, a variety of fun stickers and all kinds of little whatnots that you might want to take home. So thanks once more to listening. Thanks to Cooper Tires, the Justice Brothers, and TorontoMotorsports.com. Speak to you soon.